you have your Bibles and you would find 2 Timothy with us, not last week because I was gone and the week before we had Sunday school fellowships, but on July the 9th we started the book of 2 Timothy. I told you I thought it was probably one of the most pressing books for this church for the season that we are in because of the nature of what Paul was going through. It was like his final will and testimony. He was in prison. We looked at a couple pictures of that prison and the fact that he wrote this letter to Timothy, a young preacher who was struggling, who was going through a time of trouble. We looked at how the church that Timothy was pastor, the church at Ephesus, probably no more than 20 years later in the book of Revelation, was being accused of losing its first love. And so we can assume that Paul writes this to Timothy because the church had begun to drift. They had begun to grow. They had begun to thrive. They had begun to have many things going for them. But the gospel was being pushed down as a sentence of improvement. And I don't go over that all because um, if you were not here, you could watch it some other time. But there were just some really important things in those first seven verses. We looked there about the promise that he had made, the promise of life. We looked there that God has each and every one of us a ministry. And we looked at how his tears caused joy. And we looked at how Paul knew that even though Timothy was struggling and even though Timothy was going through hardship, that he knew that when he prayed, God heard from heaven and would work. But then we finished in verses 6 and 7 looking at whatever God has called you to do, whether it is little or big, whether it is great or small, that He will give you what you need. This is very important because when we look at verses 6 and 7, I want to read that with you tonight just to remind us this charge that He has given. Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. That word for stir in the original language is something that you would see in a fire pit with the coals. And as it begins to grow cold and as it begins to go out, you would walk up and you would stir it. You would fire it back up. You might put something on it that would help it catch flame. And so whatever was going on, Timothy was growing weary. Timothy was growing overwhelmed. And while this was written to a pastor, I felt when I was preaching this that I felt this could be applied to our church. As I looked out over a Sunday night crowd, I told you that I felt that the future of this church depended on many of you sitting in these seats. Why? Because some of you have served so faithfully. You have sacrificed so diligently. And it is easy to get to a point where it is saying it's someone else's job. It's someone else's mission to take up. I've done this long enough. I have grown weary. And we looked at how the simple fact that it is easy to grow weary even while doing good. It is easy to grow weary serving the Lord when the results don't come as we think they should. And so he reminded them to stir up the gift of God which is in you because God has not given that spirit of fear but of power and of love and of sound mind. So what comes next? 
God has a promise and a plan. God has a ministry for each one of us. And God will give you what you need to accomplish that. So now what? What comes next? We have been given everything we need. We have been given something to do. We have been given a promise from God. What comes next? If you would stand with me out of a reverence to the reading of God's Word, we're going to read verses 8 through 12. Therefore, so he's connecting it back to what he just said. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher to the Gentiles. For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed in, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him till that day. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we know that this is a special place. Lord, that you have used this place in such a mighty way. And Lord, that it is needed to be used in the future to reach this community, to reach the communities around us. And Lord, to be a part of reaching the ends of the earth. Tonight, Lord, I pray that you would protect my mouth from saying anything that is from me and not from you. Trusting your power, Lord, trusting your provision from the sufficiency of your word and your spirit. And I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. And so you say, why would he give verses 6 and 7 about don't be fearful, but have power and have love and of a sound mind? Because the task that is before of Timothy is going to be a challenge. And so the first thing I want you to see tonight if you're taking notes is an invitation is given. An invitation is given to join the work of God. Look what it says in verse 8. Therefore, so because God has given you this, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, His prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. He says... You have been called to do something hard. You have been called to do something that's not easy. You have been called to do something that might land you in prison. You have been called to do something that might cause you to lose your life. But Paul says God is inviting you to do this. And tonight my great challenge to this church is God did not call you, give you a mission, and give you what you need for you not to join Him. The invitation is, what will you do next? What will it cost you? What will you give up? What will you have to push through? What obstacles will you overcome? What enemies will you face? What hardships will come against you? And what Paul says is, I know you know all this, but I'm inviting you to join. I'm inviting you to be a part of this. You say, well, that's not very encouraging for a guy who's already probably really struggling. But he's reminding him, don't 
quit. He's reminding him, don't give up. He's reminding him that what God has in store for you matters. There is nothing that God will ask you to do in the kingdom of God that is insignificant. There is nothing that God has laid on your heart to accomplish that doesn't matter. There's nothing that God has equipped you to do that God does not find important enough to give you the assignment. I made this statement a few weeks ago and I will say it again and I'll probably say it every week through this sermon series. If you are not using the gifts that God has given you, it is sin. It is. You say, Jake, I disagree with that. If you know to do good and you do not do it, it is sin. And if you know God has gifted you, if you know God has equipped you, if you know God has prepared for you something and you don't do it, it is sin. And so tonight I ask you, what invitation is God giving you? You say, Jake, I'm already a Christian. I don't, I don't have to worry about an invitation. No, it's not that kind of invitation. You've already come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. And now Paul is telling him, come on, what's next? What are you going to do? How are you going to serve? How are you going to step out? How are you going to be used by God? And tonight, if you're not asking yourself that question, God, what is next for me? You say, well, Jake, I've done this so long, or I've done that so long, or I've been this so long. Look up here. Paul never says that to Timothy. Paul never says that about himself in prison, preparing to die possibly. He doesn't say, well, I've went as far as I could go. I I guess I won't do anything else. No, he's continuing to write under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to encourage the churches, to encourage the pastors, to encourage the people that now is not the time to quit. Uh, There was persecution, there there was death, there was the evil Roman Empire and the evil Roman Caesar, but Paul didn't say anything about that. He says, come on, let's get busy, let's get to work. What is next for you? Tonight, what is next for this church? 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says it like this, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by Him in all utterance and knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly, waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, I thank God because He's given you every gift you need. He's given you every blessing that you need to the church at Corinth to be who God wanted them to be. But he says, if you want to be found faithful, you better endure to the end. That means you better persevere. That means you better be working and serving and seeking until God calls us home. In Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 9, he writes these words. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. He says, we're praying that God would reveal His will to you so that you don't have to doubt, so that you don't have to call into question. 
that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy. You say, wait a second, he prays in verse 10 for them to be more fruitful. And then in verse 11, he prays for them to have more strength, more power, more patience, and long-suffering. Why? Because when God gives you more to do, the flesh grows weary. When God gives you more to do, the enemy begins to attack more. Spiritual warfare begins to happen. And so the more you expect God to do through this place, and you as a group of people, you should recognize we're going to need more of Him. We're going to need more of His power. We're going to need more of His strength. We're going to need more of Him working through us. Because the more that God asks of us, the more God requires of us, the more we need Him. Tonight I ask you this question, are you full in what God wants you to do? You say, I don't understand by that. Are you happy with the status quo? Are you happy with what God has asked you to do? And if God asked you to do more, would you be unhappy? I ask that question tonight because none of us would answer that, but most of us deep down would say, I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to serve anymore. I've served enough. I've given enough. I've sacrificed enough. I've done all these things enough. And what Paul says is, I'm going to just keep praying that God would use you for more. And that when He gives you more to do, He gives you more to be able to do it with. And tonight I ask you, is that your prayer? You say, Jake, is that your prayer? Some days, absolutely not. I'm just being honest with you tonight. There are nights when I come home and I think, not another person, Lord. There's not another person we could care for. There's not another visit. There's not another. It's just not possible. You say, Jake, I can't believe you'd say that. I'm being honest tonight. And in those moments, I have to get along with God and say, Lord, through your strength, through your power, Lord, you are going to have to fuel the engine that goes. It can't be me. It can't be my personality. You're saying amen to that. It can't be your wisdom. It can't be your knowledge. It can't be all of these things. It's not your charming personality and all these things. No, none of that. I have to get alone with God and say, Lord, I am totally insufficient. Lord, I am totally weak. I am totally barren, Lord. But You promised that in our weakness, Lord, Your strength would be on display. Your power would be on display. Most of us, if we're honest tonight, have given just enough that we are weary but that we're not relying on Him totally to give us what we need to move forward. You say, Jake, I'm serving enough. I'm giving enough. I'm doing enough. But what Paul says is, I'm just praying that He'd do more. I'm praying that He'd do more. The invitation is given. The second thing tonight that we see from Paul as he's writing his last will and testimony from prison is a reminder to focus on the gospel. A reminder to focus on the gospel. Look in verse 9. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which which was given to us in Jesus Christ before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, 
to the Gentiles. What does that mean? He says that God has had a purpose and plan for your life. God has a purpose and a plan for this church. Not only for your salvation, but also for what He would have you to do. And he goes on and says, and it's not your works. God is not depending on the kingdom being built by your works that you're doing on your own. He's not depending on this church thriving because of your wisdom or my knowledge or my experience. He says, no, 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 but by the power of God, by the power of God that has been given to us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that when you got saved, the Spirit of God came to live within you. He goes on and talks about that, that before time began, it's just saying that before time ever began, God had this plan in place to send Jesus Christ to die for us, to be raised, to conquer sin and death. Adam and Eve did not fall in the garden and God the Father said, now what? No, He always knew. He'd always had a purpose. He'd always had a plan. It goes on to say that we see that that plan has been fulfilled by what Jesus did on the cross. We see that He swallowed up death and sin and immortality because of what? The gospel. This is very important tonight because if you and I are not careful, we will become like Timothy. We'll grow weary doing things that don't matter. We'll grow weary building our earthly kingdoms. We'll grow weary storing up our earthly treasures. We have a saying that I have been trying to teach my children... Do as much good as often as you can for as long as the Lord lets you. You say, well, Jake, that's not a real family-friendly motto. You know what I can tell you? If my kids want to go do nursing home and hospital visits with me, I'm taking them with me. You say, Jake, that's not very good family time. You raise your kids and I'll raise mine. You say, well, Jake, I don't, I don't know. You, your kids really want to go hang out at Fox Meadows on a Sunday afternoon? Yeah, sometimes they do. Well, that's not very good family time. No, but I can tell you it blesses their soul when every single person there looks at them and goes, you are just so beautiful. Give me a hug. They don't say that to me. Let's be honest, all right? And each kid leaves there going, Mommy, they, Daddy, they all love me. Now, it's hard for them when they start to die. I'll be real honest with you. It's hard for those kids. But I'm telling you, the encouragement they get from them is just as much as they give to those individuals. My question to you tonight is, are the things you are doing for your family about your family or are they about the gospel and your family? Are the way that you spend your time as family time, can you decide, can we use it for the glory of God as well? How can we do things together? How can we serve God together? How can we teach our children that this life is not about pleasure? It's not about relaxing. It's not about getting your own. It's about serving God as faithfully as you can. And when we get to heaven, we'll have all eternity to celebrate together. We'll have all eternity to work together. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, you're looking at me like you did this morning. That's okay. Same comment stays the same. In 1 Peter chapter 9, verse 1 of 19, it says, But with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot, he was indeed foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. 
He's saying that if you don't understand that God's purpose and plan is this, you're going to miss what God would have you to do. You have to always be reminded that the gospel has been God's plan. The gospel in reaching lost people has always been God's focus. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verses 8 through 10, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and thought not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God did not just save you to keep you out of hell. God saved you to accomplish things, to do things, to to bring Him glory and honor in your life. You say, well, Jake, I'm not a great big, I'm not a great work, I'm not a great piece of workmanship. I got a lot of fall flaws. I got a lot of of weaknesses. I've got a, a lot of struggles. Listen, there's an old song that talks about that God is the master builder. And if you want to get to heaven someday and look at him and say, God, when you put me together, you put me together wrong. Good luck with that. Friends, I don't know what your struggle is. I don't know what burden you're carrying. I don't know what thing in your life that you feel is keeping you from serving God. But that is Satan lying to you. You say, Jake, I've struggled with depression. God can use that to reach people with depression. You say, Jake, I struggle with pride. I struggle with lust. I struggle with all of these things. And what you need to know is God can use them if you'll let Him. God will use your shortcomings. You say, Jake, I can't speak in front of people. Jake, I don't know if I can go on a mission trip. Jake, I don't know about this. I don't know about that. All of those are not mistakes that God made when He made you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I have never looked at one of my children and said, boy, God, you made a mistake. Not one time. Even when their mom's side of the family shows up. I've never looked at it and said, oh, God, you made a mistake. No. And I've never looked at my children when my side of the family shows up and said, God, you made a mistake. You wouldn't think that about your children. But yet, why do you believe that about yourself? When God created you, God saved you, God has a purpose for you, God has a plan for you, even your shortcomings, even your weaknesses, even your struggle. Remember the Apostle Paul said, you know, I don't, they they were making fun of him. He didn't do a great speech or he didn't look real impressive when he was in person, but boy, he could write a letter. You say, Jake, writing a letter is my spiritual gift. If you've never seen how much a card can bless a shut-in, if you've never seen how a card can bless someone who's lost a loved one, if you've never seen how a card can give encouragement to someone that's sitting in a hospital, I'm telling you, if you can write a letter, God's given you a gift. You say, well, Jake, I'm not much of a talker, but I'm a listener. That's not much of a gift. I would beg to differ. Most people don't want you to talk to them anyway. They just want you to sit there and what? Listen. You say, oh, Jake, I sat there and listened for an hour. They told me their problems. They told me their burdens. They told me their struggle. And I didn't even know what to say. You have a gift. You were a blessing to them. You were an encouragement to them. Why? Because I can tell you the number one thing I see the most as I'm out visiting widows, I'm out visiting people who are struggling is people just want you to be there and care. 
That's it. If you will be there and care and listen to them, it will change you and it will change them. Galatians 4 says it like this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. We're back to the gospel again because whatever God has called you to do, whatever gifts God has given you, it's about the gospel. It's about using those weaknesses and those strengths to share the fact that Jesus came and He died and He loves you and He wants a relationship with you and He wants to bring you into the family of God. And it's not something that has been an accident. It's all His plan. And so when you go to people and you share the gospel with them, when you love them in kindness and compassion, you need to know that God was in charge. That God has orchestrated this. That God has done all of this. I think this is important because as Timothy is ministering to people, people are not wanting to believe. People are wanting to leave their first love. The church is becoming difficult. And Paul reminds him, hey, God has done this in your life. God is the one who has worked your salvation. God is the one who has taken care of you. But there's also something else I want you to notice from this very same passage of Scripture. Is that not only does God work and move through the Holy Spirit to save us, God works through the Holy Spirit to send us. To send us into the areas that He has for us. Listen to Acts chapter 13. Talking about Barnabas. In verse 1 it says, Now in the church was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tachark, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them Away. God has called you to do things. I don't know what that calling is for your life. Sometimes I struggle with my own calling for my life. But God has a calling on your life. You say, Jay, God's not called me to do anything. Look up here. You're lying to yourself. You're lying to yourself. God has called you to serve Him. Has set you apart to do things. Third and final thing is we see that there is a hope that cannot be taken away. You see, this invitation was not an easy invitation. We see that the reminder to focus on the gospel is not always easy because we can always drift. But he gives him a hope that cannot be taken away. In verse 12 it says there, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. You see, Paul is writing this from prison, and we looked at the circumstances of this imprisonment. And as he writes this, he doesn't write it with regret. He doesn't write it looking back on his life saying, I wish I would have done more. I wish I would have spent more time on myself. I wish I would have accomplished things for myself. I wish I would have been a more accomplished tent maker. No. He says, I am not ashamed. Can you imagine all those people that had served with Saul before he came to know Christ? 
all those religious Pharisees and Sadducees, all, all the, the wise and the educated, all they had accomplished in their minds. Paul was kind of like that guy from high school that you look around and said, boy, he crashed and burned. He had everything going for him. Right? He was trusted to arrest Christians. He was trusted to be taught under the most wisest man of the day. He could have been anything in the Jewish religion, and here he finds himself imprisoned and alone. You're looking at him saying, boy, his life is a failure. Paul says, I'm not ashamed. And tonight I ask you this. When was the last time you made a decision for the world that the, Lord, that the world should have mocked you for and you were not willing to do it? When was it? Was it the last time you were at your place of employment and there were people standing around the water cooler telling inappropriate jokes or mouthing your supervisor and you just jumped right in? What you said at that moment is, I'm ashamed of the gospel. What about the last time that you were presented with an opportunity to compromise your integrity or to do the right thing regardless of the cost? And in order to have personal gain, you said, I am ashamed of the gospel. When was the last time that God asked you to do something and it really wouldn't have cost you anything, but it just wasn't convenient? What you've said is, I am ashamed of the gospel. You said, now wait a second, Jake. That is a pretty big extreme. Paul's in prison. Paul has lost every earthly thing you could lose. But he says, it was all worth it. Because I'm here for the gospel. I'm here for the message that Jesus Christ loves and can save sinners. That people who have no hope and who are on their way to hell can be redeemed. People who are spiritually lost and broken can be saved. And then he says why he's not ashamed. For I know who I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. What Paul says is, first of all, his soul, his salvation. But he's also put the ability to earn any treasures in the hand of God. What is it Jesus said? Store up not your treasures on this earth where rust and moth will destroy them, but store them up in heaven. Labor not for wealth or fame, as the old song says. And so salvation and service. Listen to what it says in John chapter 10, starting in verse 28. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and none is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Paul says the world might think him nothing, but he is a child of the King. The world thinks he might not have honored God or achieved anything, but yet Paul knew that when one person is saved, that all of heaven rejoices. Ephesians, the first chapter, verses 13 and 14, Paul writes, In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, 
the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantor of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. He says, you're sealed. You're secure. Your standing is in heaven. But I think there's one more thing that he talks about here about committed to. I don't believe it's just about salvation. I believe that he had committed the results to God. You say the results of what? His ministry. I mean, Timothy was the person he had spent the most time training to continue the work after he was gone. He is the one who had been used by Paul and the Lord to continue on the faith after Paul was gone. And here he is wavering. Paul says, I trust that what God has started, God will finish. And when we look at this church, 204 almost years in, it's easy to sometimes think when we look at the world around us, what does the future hold? I think you can look around on a Sunday night and realize that the majority of you have seen more life than you are probably going to see. You say, Jake, that's mean. That's not what I'm meaning. Where's the hunger and thirst for the Word of God and the generation to come? Where is the commitment to the things of God once a generation is gone? Think about Joshua and his instruction to the people at the end of his life. Be... Choose this day whom you will serve. And oh, of course we'll serve you, Lord. Of course we'll follow you. Of course, God, we will not depart from you. Joshua dies. The people of his generation die. And what happens? They turned back to their wickedness. But what we must do with the time that God has given us is to labor as long and as hard and as faithful as we can, trusting God for the results. That God will continue to save the lost. That God will continue to work in the lives of the hurting. That God will continue to raise up people to do the things that He's called us to do. Now, as you know, what you see is what you get. Last time I preached on Sunday night, I told you I was going to take the first and second grade Sunday school class. And if you tried to take it from me, I was going to kick somebody in the shin because God had not yet laid on someone's heart to take that class. Well, the one person I would have suggested that I didn't think to be teaching the class due to her health, the Lord told her right in the middle of the sermon that it was her class. And I did not kick anybody in the shin in the lobby. Let's just be clear. Friends, you've got to believe that God can still do that. You've got to still believe that when this church has a vision bigger than what we think it could be, that God will provide. You say, Jake, we need more workers. We need more laborers. We need more servants. Pray about it. Believe that God can do it. And trust that the future of this congregation and this local church can be amazing if we will have a vision if we will trust God to provide and we will say, I'm willing to count the cost 
I'm willing to pay whatever it takes. I'm willing to sacrifice whatever it takes. I'm willing to labor however it takes. All for the glory of God. Father, tonight I thank you for your word. Not my word, but yours. And Lord, tonight as I come through this text, Lord, you know what our needs are. You know what our weaknesses are. You know what our struggles are. You know how Satan has tried to lie to each and every one of us. And so tonight, Lord, I hope that this congregation has heard this message of encouragement of what you can do through a sold-out people. Tonight, Lord, I pray that you would continue to show your favor here. Lord, I thank you for those who have recently been saved. I thank you for those who have recently been encouraged. Lord, I thank you for those who have labored so faithfully. Tonight, Lord, I just pray that if there's anyone in this place tonight, Lord, that has never been saved, that your Holy Spirit would begin to deal with them, that they would realize they are lost and on their way to hell, but yet you are willing to save them from their sin. Father, for that person that's here tonight that is struggling with what comes next, how can I serve you, God? God, show me what you want, Lord, that you would reveal it to them openly. Father, for that person tonight who has closed their fists and say, no, no more, Lord, I will do no more. Tonight, Lord, I pray that you would break that hardened heart and soften it to your work again. And Lord, whatever needs to take place in this place tonight, I pray that you would do it for your glory and your glory alone. And Lord, if I have said or done anything to dishonor you or your word, I ask your forgiveness. And Lord, I ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.